Christ, the wisdom and power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, As it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. I must admit there are many things in this life that I struggle through with, with just a partial knowledge of. There's some things I um, just put off doing because I know it will take a lot of time to, to research it and understand it before I will be able to do it. Um, slowly entering the, the digital age, um, now onto digital newspapers. I think uh, one day I'll probably have a digital diary, who knows. Um, but those are things you can sort of live without, aren't they? You can stumble through without necessarily needing them. And there are many things I think uh, we can think of similar to that that we don't really need but we can get through life without. However, there is one thing that we cannot live without and that is a knowledge of God. Jim Packer puts it very well in his book Knowing God which uh, is a great Christian classic which uh, every one of you should have on, on your bookshelf. Um, you can buy it through the church website. Now that uh, Charles's bookstore is uh, being taken down, you still can go to the church website and find it there. Let me just read those, what, um, what he says in the, the introduction. This is what he says. We are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place And life in it is is a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. 
Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfold, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. Or strong words, but very true. We've uh, just finished a series on the, uh, the Holy Spirit, and we're going to do a couple of uh, one-offs before uh, Easter. Uh, the title of this morning's sermon is Knowing God, Life's Major Pursuit. And we're going to be focusing on Jeremiah uh, chapter 9, a couple of verses from there, as well as referring to the passage that uh, Helen read for us from, from 1 Corinthians. But let's just turn first to, to Jeremiah chapter 9. And uh, you'll find that on page... 767 of the Church Bibles. Jeremiah chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 23 and 24. Let me read it to you. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Well, the passage tells us what we should not boast about and it tells us what we should boast about. And we're starting with what we should not boast about and that is that we don't boast about ourselves. Boasting is not a very British thing, is it, really? I think um, if we went to America, it would be very different. They have this incredible knack of self-promotion. Um, and do it sort of effortlessly without any sense of embarrassment. Uh, I think they would watch The Apprentice and uh, actually take it quite seriously. Um, whereas for us, it's a bit of a comedy programme, seeing these uh, young professionals um, who are quite full of themselves then fall flat on their faces. Apologies to any Americans who might be with us uh, this morning for my sweeping generalisations. But to be honest, as Brits, we still want to impress people, don't we, as part of our, our fallen nature. Um, we just do it probably in more subtle ways. Um, we like finishing the, the crossword and leaving it out for people to, to notice. <laughs> Going to quiz nights are all the rage, aren't they, and showing our, our amazing general knowledge talking about our children's achievements because that's one step removed but it reflects well on us, name-dropping in conversation. And we can have a laugh about people who, who boast to without realising it. But in this passage, it's quite a serious issue. This warning about boasting comes in the middle of a passage about sin, about judgement, about lamentation. And it's quite clear what it says. Human wisdom, human strength, human riches are nothing to boast about. Well, why is that? Because we often boast about our wisdom, our strength and our riches without reference to God who gave them in the first place. And somebody who is far more wise, far more strong, far more wealthy than we can ever possibly be. Take wisdom, for example. The thing with wisdom is it is comparative, isn't it? I could go into a primary school and teach maths and look pretty wise. I could go into a sixth form and teach maths and look a complete idiot. I should probably go into a year nine class and look like an idiot, but um, if we compare what we know with the wisdom of God, 
who made the universe, we are going to look pretty stupid. We are trying to discover how things work, but of course God is the one with infinite knowledge who designed them in the first place. There's nothing wrong with trying to to understand the universe. This week we've been hearing about the uh, NASA's uh, Curiosity rover uh, on Mars. I think a picture of it coming up here. It looks something like the original Star Wars film. But as long as we do that, when we recognise that it helps us appreciate the God who made the universe even more. And that we will only ever scratch the surface of what God has created. And that all we know comes from him anyway. He's revealing his creation to us. And sadly, often the, the opposite is true, isn't it? People make discoveries and it fills them with a sense of pride, of boasting in their own achievements. Look at man. He's conquering the universe somehow. And the fascinating thing about the gospel, Jesus' message of salvation, is that it doesn't require great intellect. What it does require is a simple, childlike trust. Let's turn back to that passage that, uh, that uh, Helen read for us from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. And look at some of the things it says here. Where is the wise man? Where is the teacher of the law? The philosopher of this age? Saying, hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom didn't know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. It's that trust again, that faith. Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom, some sort of esoteric knowledge, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, it's open to all people here, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Just the tiniest bit of wisdom of God is wiser than any human wisdom. The message of Christ crucified appears as foolishness to those who who trust in their own wisdom because to them it appears like weakness. Why would somebody allow themselves to be killed? But it's the power of God, it's the wisdom of God. We trust in God's wisdom. Strength is another area where humans love to boast. Not just uh, what they um, not just physical power but um, athletic ability. Uh, But the passage continues then in 1 Corinthians. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The tiniest bit of of, uh, strength of God is stronger than human strength. The Olympics last year were a great reminder, weren't they, of all that humans can achieve physically. But also a poignant reminder of just how short-lived those achievements are for human beings. One of the stars of the opening ceremony was Muhammad Ali, once the greatest heavyweight boxer in the world, one who called himself the greatest, but now a sufferer of of Parkinson's and looking a shadow of his former self. There's no point boasting in our strength because it can be taken from us at any time. Now again, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try and achieve all we can with our physical ability, the gift that God has given us, we want to glorify him with that, but we mustn't forget that all we have comes from him 
And what we're trying to do as we use those physical gifts he's given us is to glorify him. And that was something which was modelled very well last year by the US uh, Olympic double gold medal winner, Sanya Richards-Ross. This is what she said. For me, my faith is the reason I run. I definitely feel I have this amazing gift that God has blessed me with and it's all about using it to the best of my ability. Or if it's not wisdom or strength we might be tempted to boast in, it's wealth. But the passage here says, let not the rich boast of their riches. And again, it's not a very British thing to talk about um, your wealth. But of course, you don't need to speak of your, your riches. You can boast of them simply by uh, the house you live in, the, the car you drive, the clothes you wear. There is a pride that people take in wealth because it, it speaks of success and achievement. It says, you have made it in this world. Look at me, is what it says. You don't need to speak about it. And there's a great temptation for those who are wealthy to be, to prep, be proud of themselves rather than give thanks to God for all that he has given them and to use it for his glory and invest in the things of eternity. The reason we have, as a church here, given so generously to the building project is because we want to invest in something that will last for eternity. Not the bricks themselves, but the impact the ministry here will have on other people. We want others to know God. We want them to share in the blessings that we have through our knowledge of him. And to the extent that better facilities enable us to do that more effectively, then we are prepared to invest in them. Of course, it's not the only thing we invest in. We, we invest in sending missionaries abroad. We invest in training people for, for ministry. We invest in organisations like FIC who are planting other churches in other parts of the country. They're all other aspects of our vision, which is having known Christ ourselves, to then make him known to the world in which we live. Well, it's nearly 3,000 years since Jeremiah wrote these words, but the warning that he gives then is just as true today. New records keep being broken. Man becomes cleverer and stronger and wealthier. But the temptation to boast in one's own achievement still exists. And you may be somebody who has lots to boast about. You may be clever, you may be strong, you may be wealthy. Or you may feel actually you haven't got anything to boast about anyway. But if you are a Christian here this morning, you do have something to boast about. And it's the sort of boasting that is encouraged, as it says in this passage. Because what we should boast in is in the Lord. Have a look at verse 24 there of Jeremiah 9 again. The one who boasts, boasts about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth. From these I delight, declares the Lord. God wants us to know him. But let's be clear about this. This is not boasting about us and our knowledge. You know, the fact that we've studied hard, we've learnt all our, our memory verses, all of which are good things to do, don't get me wrong. But we don't want people to be impressed with us. We want them to be impressed with God. After all, it's from him that our knowledge comes in the first place. It's because he has been kind enough to reveal himself to us that we know him. Our verse for the, the week is from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus where he writes this. 
I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you this spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. And it carries on. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for all who believe. And that is a prayer that I hope we would all pray for one another. We all want to know God deeper. God makes himself known to us. And there are three things in particular in this passage that he wants us to know about himself. And it's good to just uh, dwell on those for, for a moment. His justice, his kindness, and his righteousness. Kindness, God's kindness. The English word kind doesn't quite have the same, the same depth and meaning as the, the Hebrew word. I think in English, kind conjures up a little bit sort of helping old ladies across the road. It's a little bit better than the word nice, but, um, but not much. But the Hebrew word means covenant loyalty. It means steadfast love. It means merciful affection. It's a, it's a much deeper embracing sense of kindness. And in some translations, it's translated as loving kindness. In Exodus 34, God showed his loving kindness to Moses when he passed in front of him. This is what he said. He said, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness, maintaining loving kindness to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Let's turn to um, Psalm 136. And have a look for ourselves where this, this word kindness appears again. Here's that same word, translated here, love. And it appears 26 times in this psalm. After every um, statement, there is a refrain, his love endures forever. And you may think, well, how does that link to each statement? And, you know, these are not just abstract statements about God here. They show that what he has done is for our benefit. It's done out of his love. That is why we say his love endures forever. So it talks about his creation. His love endures forever. It's for our benefit that we might enjoy it. It describes how he, he rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt, which was for their benefit, out of his love for them. How he has conquered enemies for the benefit of his people. And finally... In verse 23 and 24, he's freed us from our enemies, not least sin and guilt. He's given us, it says here, the daily food that we need. To know God is to know his loving kindness in all aspects of our lives and to to thank him for that continually. But we cannot talk about God's love without mentioning Jesus Christ because that is how he has expressed his love to us. That familiar verse from John 3.16 it says, God so loved the world or he loved the world in such a way that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. Or in 1 John 3 this is how we know what love is 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And the question for us I think, this morning is, do we know that as a verse from the Bible that we hear so often? Do we know it as a fact of history? Or do we know that as, that as something that has changed our lives? Can we say that Jesus died for me? I have accepted his love that he showed towards me. And if you have known that loving kindness for yourself, do you live in constant appreciation of it? Or do you say, well, I know I'm safe, I know I'm forgiven, I know God loves me, that's all I need to know. But God wants us to know him more and more, to grow in our knowledge of his love. Paul wrote to the Ephesians saying he was praying that they would know him better. They would grow in their knowledge of him. And this Easter, if you want to try and understand more of the love of God, of the true significance of that sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, then why not uh, read one of these um, great books on the cross, uh, The Cross of Christ by John Stott, a classic, Scandalous, Don Carson. A new one that's come out, I must admit I haven't read this one yet, it's got good reviews, so if you do read this one, let me know what you think of it. Passion by Mike McKinley. Knowing God's loving kindness helps us through life. Helps us when we're feeling unloved ourselves, when we're feeling taken for granted by others. Helps us when we feel we've been let down or maybe when we've lost somebody who is dear to us and we're feeling lonely when we're anxious about the future, when we want to know how to love others ourselves in that sacrificial way. In all these ways, God wants us to know his love. Well, the second characteristic of God that he wants us to to know here is his justice. God describes himself as just, as we heard about in that last pulse service that Nathan was speaking at. Deuteronomy 32 says this, he, God, is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. To say he is just is to say that he rewards good and he punishes evil. But of course the reason people often question whether he really is a just God, a fair God, is because he really delivers that instant justice now in this world. God, out of his patience, has allowed sin and evil to to exist, but only until the day of judgment, when it will be wiped out forever. Now, that doesn't mean when we are victims of injustice that we can't call on the Lord, we can't cry out to him to do something about it. You know, the Psalms are full of people lamenting, evildoers doing things to them. There's much injustice that still goes on in the world today. You may have read um, last Saturday in Pakistan a 3,000 mob of, uh, of Muslims burnt down 178 homes and 75 shops belonging to Christians. It's about a false blasphemy accusation made against a Christian. At a somewhat lesser level, but nevertheless important two primary school teachers gave evidence uh, this week to, the, uh, to Parliament about the, the gay marriage bill um, saying they were facing discrimination for refusing to read a book to their class that advocated gay marriage. 
people being discriminated against for their religious beliefs. When we experience injustice, we can take great great comfort from the God who is just and his promise that one day justice will be done. And when God gives us the the grace, when he gives us the the patience and the strength to, to persevere in the face of injustice, then that is a great witness to him. We can tell people what it is that keeps us going. But what also helps us persevere is the knowledge that we too deserve God's punishment. Because none of us is righteous. But Jesus' death has made us righteous. He has satisfied God's justice. And that is where his kindness and his justice come together. And the third thing it talks about here is righteousness. His righteousness. Going back to that verse in Deuteronomy, it says, He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. To say God is righteous is to say that he acts faithfully towards his people. He is morally perfect, he does no wrong. And he acts righteously when he performs his saving deeds for his people. Because as he does that, he places his people in a right relationship with him. And that is where righteousness and salvation come together at the cross. That's what it says in Isaiah 46, where it brings together this righteousness and salvation. It says, Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted. You who are now far from my righteousness... I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away. And my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion and my splendour to Israel. The Messiah will come. The Saviour will come, he's saying. I'm bringing my righteousness. I'm bringing my salvation. And it's in the righteousness of Christ that God's loving kindness, his justice come together. God is love. God is just. And because of his justice, God cannot overlook sin. That might be be loving, but it wouldn't be just, would it? Because of his love, God didn't simply punish us for our sins. That would be just, but not loving. But love and justice come together in the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus satisfied the justice of God by paying the price for our sins. And so in Jesus, we too become righteous. Well, as we come to an end and come back to where we started, what is important in all this is not necessarily being able to dissect the different elements of God's character in a, in a clinical way and explain his love, his justice, his righteousness. It is to appreciate in our hearts that God has made us right with him. And he's done that through the sacrifice of Jesus. He's allowed us to know him And the question for us is, do we want to know him? Because he has made it possible for our sinful people to know him, the holy, righteous, creator God. He has saved us from the punishment we deserve by the blood of Jesus that we're going to celebrate now around the Lord's table. If you have accepted Jesus as your saviour, if you have seen your need for forgiveness and with like to ask him to forgive you, to make you right with him.
if you'd like to commit your life to following Jesus as your Lord, then come and take part in this supper. If you're not at that point, then do please stay with us and allow the bread and wine to pass as it is served. But please, do not continue to stumble through life. To know God is what we were made for. And we'll never know him fully until we see him face to face. But we can know him more and more deeply each day. Finish again with the the final words from that passage from 1 Corinthians. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Well, before we come to the Lord's table and we do celebrate...